Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, we can change the world. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. As you can probably hear in my voice, I am incredibly excited for this episode. And you may be asking yourself right now, why, John? What's this one about? All right, well, let me tell you. At the age of nine, a little person was burned on the vast majority of their body and was expected to die. No, I'm not talking about me this time. I'm talking about the little girl in one of the most famous and one of the most important pictures ever taken. Just months before the United States eventually pulled out of the Vietnam War, as their own casualties rose to more than 58,000, the catastrophic effect on the civilian population was beginning to become clear. More than a million civilians would be wounded in this war. And perhaps no picture more grotesquely and more aptly summed this up than the one. I'm talking about the one that was so powerful, it received the Pulitzer Prize that year. The picture shows a small Vietnamese village with napalm still burning in the background. It shows dark gray smoke billowing up. It shows soldiers carrying guns, walking down a road. And in front of them, it shows children running for their lives. In the middle of this chaos, one little girl, naked, burned, wailing, racing from the fire for her very life. Well, that same little beautiful girl joins us today to share what she endured, who she became, and what she learned along the journey of life. The amazing story is captured in the book, Fire Road, which was recommended by listener Marianne Kirkhoff. Marianne, thank you for it. I love the book, so thank you, Marianne. And my friends, I ask you right now to open wide your hearts, your minds, your eyes. You're going to need your seatbelt for this one because it is an unbelievable story of tragedy turned triumph. Take your seats. Actually, instead of taking your seats, it's, this time, take your feet. Jump to your feet. You're going to need to for my newest friend. Her name is Kim Fook. Kim, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you so much, John, for having me, and then, and thank you for everyone who listening to me. And uh, the deep of my heart, I want to thank you and God bless. Kim, you you have 
the kind of story people need to know about. And that's why I'm so grateful when we reached out, you said yes. Uh, So I'm going to begin your story, not with where you are today, not with your family, not with what you're doing. I'm not even going to begin with that amazing picture taken in 1972. I'd like to go back even a little bit before then. Talk about what life was like for a little Vietnamese girl growing up in the early 1970s. Talk about your village life before that June attack. Wow, how beautiful, how peaceful. My village, actually, we have a lot of refugees uh, from, from uh, came from another village. And our village is, uh, <laughs> honestly, our family is one of the most uh, richest in that village. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and my dad have... Uh, the restaurant, and uh, we have a big house uh, and a lot of uh, fruit trees in the backyard and a lot of animals around. And I never feel, uh, you know, scared or afraid of or anything. The war seemed to me is far away, not happened in my village yet, you know. Yes. And so... Every time I went to the school and I came home and every time I got into my house, uh, in the gate of my house, I felt like princess. Mm. Oh, I live with a carefree, cheerful, and I love it. I love it. That is, I never forget it. You know, every time I, I chose the best uh, wava a tree, mm-hmm. I claim on the tree like a cat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I pick up the, the, the most of the really good one and I just eat it and then the rest I just threw it to my friend. Uh, they, they just stood on the ground and then, oh, we just enjoy it. And then every time, uh, wow, I we have everything, John. Yes. Well, the the, yeah. the fairy tale life that you that you knew, and you maybe even took it for granted, because I think frequently in life we take for granted what we've become accustomed to. It That's changes right. yeah. entirely, dramatically for you and for the entire village on June eighth, nineteen seventy two. Take us back to what you remember on that day. Right, uh, I remember uh, when the North. Vietnamese soldiers came and occupied our village. And so later on, they uh, allowed us to hiding in the temple, mm-hmm. uh, Dai Temple. And we thought that is uh, the safe place and holy place that would be good. But, you know, that the, the fact is not. So in June 8th, um, I remember very well as a children, uh, we're not allowed to play far away, but we just allowed to play nearby, very close to the bomb shelter. And I, I played with my cousin and my friends and my brothers there. Then uh, I remember after lunch. So during the morning, we heard the noise of the burn uh, of the tree and the house, but there's a... Uh, far away, a little bit far, not inside of the temple, Mm -hmm. uh, the temple. And so we just 
as the children we just play around there, then suddenly after lunch, if something is serious, and the South Vietnamese soldiers who protected us there in the temple, and they they saw the color mark, then uh, that means uh, they dedicated the temple was going to be bombed. Mm. Then uh, they were so scared. They say, "Oh, we have to run out of that uh, of this place because it's dangerous. We will be killed." And then they yell for the children to run. And so, because of course, children always run fast, you know. Mm. And so, uh, I was one of them. And then my favorite cousin is Jen. And so he just three years old, and then we ran with the Vietnamese, uh, South Vietnamese soldiers, and he picked him up and ran together with me. And I remember when I just ran in the front of the temple, mm-hmm. when I touched Highway 1, and right that point, right there, so I saw the airplane was so close, so fast, so loud, and I stood right there. Do you remember the the moments that the bombs drop, that they hit the ground, and that you recognize, even as a little one, you know what's going on, that this is a, a fiery explosion? I just, I just let me say that when I saw the the airplane like that so fast toward to me, and then I just stay there and I look up. I turned my head and I looked at, and I saw four bombs landing. And then I heard the noise, boop, 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 like that. Not a big explosion, but just that, that kind. And then suddenly, right there, I, I saw the fire everywhere around me. And I just, my clothes just burned off by the fire and I saw on my left arm all the fire I look up mm. and I use my right hand side and I just wrap it up and I knew right away I still remember my memory you know my thought at that moment I say my goodness I I I got burned and I will be uh no normal anymore. I will be ugly, and so people will see me different, yes. differently. And so that moment, I still remember my thought, but I was so terrified. And then I just kept running. I I kept running out of that fire. And Kim, before you tell us where you ran, I just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> I've never interviewed someone else who has been through something kind of like what I endured. I think yours is uh, incredibly different in some regards and incredibly dramatic. But like you, I was burned on my whole body. And like you at age nine and like you, I remember afterwards uh, looking down at my body and thinking, I'm unlovable. I hope no one ever sees this. I wasn't thinking about death. I wasn't thinking about anything other than how different my body already was. And it's odd, even at the age of nine, you have enough awareness to recognize that you are no longer today who you were yesterday. Exactly, John. I'm just so terrified, so scared. I'm not normal anymore. Right. But how can I do? You know, at that moment, I remember I just ran out of that fire and I saw my brothers. 
and I saw my cousin, and I saw some soldiers. They were there. They just miss it. Mm. They just miss the fire. And then, yeah, I just right there. And then we kept running until I felt so tired to yes. run anymore. And then I stopped. And then I I cried out. And then I remember one of the soldiers gave me some water to drink. And and then I cried out, too hot, too hot. It means uh, in Vietnamese, nam qua, nam qua. So one of them, they tried to help me. They pour water on my skin. So that moment, I lost my uh, consciousness. I, I passed out. I didn't remember anything else, John. So Kim, I've seen like the vast majority of our listeners, that picture in history books and on various anniversaries of the Vietnam War and the conflict and the collateral damage that is, I think, too rarely talked about. I assume that you were just a sweet little villager, probably out playing that day naked. I had never heard and known that you actually had, no, you were dressed, you were in temple, and it was actually the fire that burned all those clothes off and, and left you running for your life completely naked. Yes, that's correct, yeah. After you pass out, it was shared with me that a the photographer himself wraps you in like military fatigue and then begins moving you toward a hospital. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what happened to me, uh, John, when I pass out, when I lost consciousness, I didn't remember anything else. And now the story from the photographer, from my mom, from my doctor, mm -hmm. from the um you know reporter who who were ever there became my story mm. i learned from them later on and i learned that uh from uh ap photographer mm -hmm. um, i called <laughs> and so um he took my picture and then he put down his camera and he rushed me to the nearest hospital in Gucci, they say that and then uh, he fought with the nurse and they took me in and they went to the dark room for yes. developing the the film that he took. Um, then I learned that three days after the bombing, my mom and my dad found me in the, in the hospital morgue, in the first children's hospital. And everyone was expecting to bring my body back to the village for burial. But then a miracle happened in that moment. And my, my dad from another hospital, uh, they were looking for me around a hospital in Saigon. And then um, they met each other in the entrance. Mm. And so my, my dad uh, realized uh, when he met his older friend who worked in that hospital and they recognized each other and then my 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 dad begged him to help uh his daughter who burning uh dying and so that doctor uh make a phone call and then transfer me to uh from first children hospital to the the Bosky burn clinic there I got treatment. Wow, it's just a miracle. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit 
pause just because I think some of the early days are so shocking on what happens before you begin this miraculous journey back. You come in, you call him Uncle Oot. That's a photographer, Nick Oot, who takes the picture and not only takes this picture that's going to change your life in, in many, many positive and some challenging ways. He's also the one that guides oh, you to the hospital. He's the one that insists they treat you because they saw how badly you were burned and they wanted to ignore you, but he insisted they begin that treatment. He goes about his work and you were so badly burned. They move you from the ER. They move you from this place where they begin the treatment to the morgue. Yeah, despite of all the circumstances, but got in it. And it's just amazing how he keep me in that situation to keep me alive. Well, it's hard to imagine a more miraculous story than a little girl with burns on the majority of her body waking up three days later in the morgue. I mean, it's uh, right out of scripture somewhere, and it is a remarkable story, and it's just the start of it. You then spend 14 months in hospital. Right. For you, looking back on those 14 months, what what was the hardest part for you during that time? Uh, Wow. I wish my memory not come back (laughs) that moment. Every morning when I I remember very clear, uh, 8 o'clock, so the nurse came to my bed and then wake me up and they started to treat me. They put me in the burn bath Mm -hmm. and then uh, to put some ingredients, uh, something there and then make it easier to cut all my dead skin off. Mm. You is so painful, you know, yes. and um, I didn't want that. And I remember the most of the thing that um, I said it that time. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I just cry as a nine years old. I just cry, and then the pain uh, that unbearable, and I just pass out. Mm. That's. That is daily. They have to do that for me. And honestly, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't want that. But now, okay, look back. I'm so thankful that they have to do that way to me because that is kind of saved my life. If they don't do that, uh, you would have passed it's away. Very easy to get infection. Correct. You went through that, John, and you know. Like you, it's by far my least favorite thing to both talk about and remember. But some memory, you know, I don't know what I had for dinner last night, but I can remember in great detail the months of bandage changes and the nurses coming by and picking you up and carrying you in and cleaning off those wounds and debriding your body. So, some things in life you just you never, ever forget. So that's the negative side of it. I'm curious, though, was there a positive side? Looking back at those 14 months, was there a time of day or was there a friend or a I, nurse who really made a difference for you? Yes. And uh, uh, that is, of course, a negative. And now is a positive way that I am so thankful. All the doctors and nurses, they will inspire me. They, they were there. Anytime, whenever I meet them, they were there to help me. They loved me. And from their compassion, and that is just make me uh, have a dream mm. in that little girl. I, I, when I, I went home, I say I really want to be a doctor or nurses when I'm growing up. And I want to help another people like they helped me. 
Uh, and so that is, I keep, have yeah. a dream and make my dream big. And I want to keep my dream alive. You went home 14 months after coming in. You come home a 10-year-old. You come in scarred. You come in changed. And you come home to a village where your home no longer stands, where the wealth has been eradicated, where the pictures are all gone. The fairy tale life that you had at the beginning of our conversation is not at all the life you have when you come home. It's a, my life. It's a beginning. <laughs> it's so hard, John. I'm so thankful I'm not living in the past. Yeah. But when you ask me, I remember as a child, I want to have a friend come over to play with me. And my friend came from, I, I came from the South, right? Mm-hmm. And so the weather was always hot and hotter. And so I came home, I didn't wear the, the top, you know, and of course, everybody saw my scars and my disabled. It's totally different. And so as soon as my, my friend came over and saw me from far and she just stopped there, there. Mm. and all oh my, uh, my heart, I really want to see her and hug her and play, come and come. Uh, you know, come Han, her name is Han. I call Han, come, come over. And with all my effort, and I just walk and uh, close to her, but she just stopped there. She she didn't say anything. I know she looked at me. I I'm different, and real realize the 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 idea that I I told you before. The moment I got burned, mm-hmm. and I know that I'm never be the same. I'm unfit to be loved, mm. and so that is that the moment is so real to me, and it's so sad. It just come, yes. wow! It's so difficult, and she just scared. She just stay there. She's not moving, and then I know I'm not the same. So this little girl, your friend, her reaction remind you what you already at least sensed to be true, which is you're you're unlovable. And and I, I think within you it begins you going down about a decade long period of asking the question, why me? Why me? And I know for a long time of your life that that was your favorite question. You wanted to know why and you were angry and mad and, and that frequently you even wanted to die. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, growing up the weather is so hot, but I have to Cover my scars, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so sensitive and so. Uh, I carry on with the thought I will never have, you know, a boyfriend, yeah. <laughs> and get married, and so that's why. How, how can I have a normal life um, as a mother, growing up from nine years old up to when I got married? All the time in my mind, that is a very low self esteem. On me. We'll talk about you, Mr. Perfect, in a moment. I, I, I think that's the nickname you call your husband. But before we get there, you begin kind of rebuilding your life a little bit. You go off to medical school, and almost as soon as you get back on track, the government takes you off track and uh, forces you out of medical school. Why, why did they say, no, you can't go to medical school? Because the moment when they rediscovered me, I was that little girl 
and I still I am still alive, and they know the value of that picture. Is uh, that picture is a big impact around the world, and so there were so many journalists. I came from different countries. Uh, whenever they came to Vietnam, they wanted to interview that little girl. Mm. So my school in Saigon, and when they wanted to interview me, they have to take me uh, back to the village or in Tai Ninh in my province, uh, far away. And so they really interrupt my school. And then it's uh, more often, so eventually the government in Tai Ninh, they decided to cut short my study. You are so important now. You have to go back to work mm-hmm. with us. That is the reason they they didn't allow me to go to school anymore. It is really low point in my life. Kim, the first time you saw that photograph, how old were you? And what did you feel? After 14 months from the hospital, I didn't know my picture at all. They didn't tell me at all because I was so young and so ill and survivor. And, um, but... I saw my picture when I came home. My dad, uh, he gave it to me, that picture that he cut the picture from the news, uh, Vietnamese newspaper. And he kept it very well, and he gave it to me. As soon as he said, Kim, is it your picture? Mm. I look at that, that picture for, for the first time. John, I was a girl. Immediately, I felt completely, uh uh-oh, I don't like that picture. Why he took me my picture when I was naked? Mm. And my face agony, and I running in the center of the picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brothers uh, in my right-hand side and my cousin in my left, and I said, why me the center? I didn't like that picture, really, John, and I really felt embarrassed. I completely understand through the lens of a child. I'm curious, when you see it today, how do you feel about that picture? When I growing up, and of course, I learned that that picture became so famous, but not me. <laughs> and, and then it's a nature, more than that, I don't want it. You know, I, I can look at that, but not, not me. Until, John, the moment I was in Canada already, mm. and then I have a little boy, <laughs> my Thomas. I, when I hold him and I look at that picture, oh my, that it just hit me so deep. And I just hold him tight. And then I say, how can I let my boy, my child, suffer like that little girl? Yeah. And not only just my boy, my child, but all the children around the world, they should not suffer like that little girl. And so that moment motivated me. I have to do something mm. to do my best as a mother. I have to protect children, includes my child. And that is just in my mind. And I pray about that. And I say, how can I do? 
And that moment just never stopped in my heart. Do something. Do your best. And that's why I accepted. And that moment, that picture became so powerful gift for me. I honestly, I learned how to go back to accept that picture and then to work with it for peace. Mm. It, this is my choice. And this is a big difference. I have a freedom. And I, from that moment, I move on. And that is from there, John. Wow, it's so powerful for me. And I'm so thankful that I was able to learn that big lesson. Talk about a change in your life when you began to pivot from being a victim to your past to being grateful and acceptant and radically changed. Was there a moment in your life that you finally began to accept where you'd been? So I got burned. Obviously, everybody knows from that picture. And then really, I have no idea how to survive. And then 19, I just about fulfilled my dream. And then suddenly, I became a second time, uh, the, the victim a second time. And then now I face with the point that uh, 19 teenager, it's so hard. I deal with hatred, bitterness, pain, loss, negative, hopelessness, everything. That much harder than was nine years old. Many times I wanted to commit suicide mm-hmm. because I, after I die, no more, no more pain, no more suffering, no more enduring. Right, but it was so hard to do that. And deep down in my heart, I really want to seek the purpose, the answer in my life. And then that's why I end up in the library, big library in Saigon. And then when I got into that, and I went to the the religion section, and I poured out hundreds of religious books. <laughs> to read and research and looking for. Among all of that books, those books, I found the New Testament. And the more I read, the more question I had. And I have no idea because I was raised a different religion. I believe in everything that they name on the list, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I because my, my physical... Uh, suffer so much, I really devoted in my religion, but end up empty-handed. I couldn't find any peace in that religion, in my family, in my school, in my friends. No one can give me peace. And when I I read one verse in the Bible from John fourteen six, when Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man can come to the Father but by me. As soon as I read that, I said, what from my religion taught me so many gods? But now Jesus say yes, like that. What was true? I really confused. And then, you know, from that point, I just asking, uh, struggling, and then uh, somehow keep going, searching, uh, what was true, 
And then during that time, I really look back at that God at me seeking him, and he will open the door and the light for me to see. It's just amazing turning point in my life. I'd love to ask you about what it's like to no longer journey on your life any longer by yourself. You, you've discovered God. You have a strong, active faith. And eventually, you're going to find love, not only in your faith, but also in live and in living color through your current husband. Where did you meet your husband? I met him in, uh, at the university in Havana, Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> of all places you know. for a Vietnamese couple to meet, in Havana, Cuba, that's where you meet him. What was it about yeah. him that you fell in love with? Right. You know what? I was so scared. <laughs> Because I didn't want anybody saw my scars. My scar and my pain, they are my protection. When God brought me and my husband to me, he's a good man. And uh, eventually we got married. <laughs> okay, so in my book, it's so, I just love that part. <laughs> I do too. It's, it is a beautiful love story. And then this loving couple journeys to Moscow for their honeymoon, of course. It's on the way back that you, of course, go through Halifax. Your journey is so up and down, so jagged. And then looking back, perfect. It's perfect. It leads you directly to where you are today. You get off the plane, not to get back on. You uh, remain in Canada. That's where you live today. And what, what I'd like to ask you is about three quotes that you've shared that have really moved me, and I'd like you to explain what they mean to you, okay? So these are three of my favorite quotes. I've either borrowed them from your book, from interviews, or from your written words. So number one, here's the first. Uh, Forgiveness made me free from hatred. I still have many scars on my body and severe pain most days, but my heart, my heart is cleansed. What does that quote mean? That's really true, John. That is from my heart and is real to me. Yes, my scar is still in my body. The pain I still endure, uh, much or less. But my heart completely healed. And uh, uh, I'm so thankful for that. And when my heart, not in trouble, not scars, is healed, completely clean. And that is the life we should be. Mm, the, and it's heaven on earth for that little girl, for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Kim, we, we, we hear it in your voice. The, the little girl who was playfully uh, messing around in the garden before the attack is the woman I'm on the phone with today. And I just, it's so contagious and so attractive. So the second quote I wanted to ask you about, you wrote, napalm is very powerful, but faith, forgiveness, and love are much more powerful. And then you wrote, we would not have war at all if everyone could learn how to live with true love, hope, and forgiveness. Tell me what that quote means to you. Wow. It means so much to me. And that is the purpose of my life. At the end, I am so thankful with despite of all the circumstances in my life. I choose to be thankful mm. and learning what happened. And now, wow, I embrace, embrace my life, embrace my scars, uh, 
my pain and continue with my journey until the end of my life. And I wish everybody have that what I have. And because the more I travel over the world, I can see everybody in this earth, they meet the same need that little girl need before. Mm. It's about love, about hope and forgiveness. And I wish everyone can have that. Well, it's going to tie perfectly into the next question because you're pivoting from you into us. And so the final quote that I wrote down is this. And if that little girl in the picture can find love, hope, and forgiveness, then ask yourself, can you? You're right. Thank you. Yes. When you write that and then you end it with a question, if you could then place yourself in someone else's life, do you think Do you think we can all say, yes, if she can do it, so can I? Thank you, John. That is my wish. The little girl who never dreamed of what Napalm could do and how it might affect her, her family, her village, how redemption looks after years of challenge and difficulty and asking why me and eventually being redeemed and eventually recognizing that there's beauty even in the scars. And so in, in every podcast interview, Kim, we ask our guests seven questions that tie all of them together. And so uh, these are questions that I love. I think you're going to love them as well. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. And question number one is this. What is the best book you've ever read? <laughs> the Bible. I, I thought I thought that might be your answer. So uh, let me pivot then into the second question. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl before that picture came that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I just really want to be a princess. <laughs> <laughs> Little Kim wants to be a princess. I don't blame you. Question number three. This one, I think, touches all of our guests' lives. It, it speaks to all of our listeners, but it directly impacts you because it affected you directly. Here it is. Question number three is, if your home caught fire and all living things are out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What's the one thing that you would grab, Kim? I wrap the Bible. <laughs> I can live forever in the Bible. And that is even I, my house would burn and everything burn out, but I, I can have the Bible if I can have everything. Mm. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beautiful beach or mountain, and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to visit with? I want to visit my Lord. Hmm. I want to talk with him all the time. What would be your first question to your Lord? Ask, um, I need you to be with me. Hmm. And what do you think his response back is? He said, yes, I am with you all the time, Kim. What's the best <laughs> advice you've ever received? Love, his love. What would you tell that 20-year-old girl who was struggling mightily? You just got booted out of medical school. You've lost the dream. You're physically scarred. You're emotionally bankrupt. What would you tell your 20-year-old self if you could go back in time? I say, okay, even you lost everything, but when you have God's love, you will have everything. 
Kim, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. I'm having an interview right now with a great person. So, Kim, how would you like your one sentence to read? We cannot change a history, but with love, we can heal the future. Oof. That one will work. We cannot change history, but with love, we can heal the future. Kim, your life is living example. It is exhibit A of exactly what that sentence speaks to. I want to thank you for running for your life years and years ago, and I want to thank you for living so boldly, faithfully, hope-filled, and lovingly today. Thank you so much, John, and God bless you. And all the listeners, God bless you all. Well, my friends, that's one of the most remarkable women I have ever read about, I've ever met, and I've ever been inspired by. Kim is such an awesome example of faithfulness, of courage, of vulnerability, of being brave, of fighting forward, of loving herself eventually, of being able to then turn around and love her enemies completely, of finding a life that is meaningful, and of using it to invest her time, her talent, her treasure in causes even greater than herself. She has inspired me today. I'm quite certain that the little girl in the picture that you remember has now inspired you as well. So my friends, for this time and until next time, I am John O'Leary. That was Kim Fook. And this is your day. Live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspired podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.